And I would really ask yourself, like, what matters most to you? What are the things that make you wake up every day excited? What are the things that are going to help you get to that next place in your life or your career and your aspirations? What matters most? And create a little bit of like a filter for what matters most to me. And by the way, what matters most to you might be, I want to be one of the coolest brands in the country. And that's cool. That's awesome. And if that's one of your reasons for being, use it. But if it's not, you actually might uncover there are other things you're really looking for that might lead you down a different path or a different next step. Hey guys, welcome to Active Ingredient, the podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Wheel, and I'll be taking a deep dive into why people do what they do and what it is that drives them. I believe every single person has an active ingredient to them, aka a purpose, and all we have to do is uncover what that is and activate it. I'm looking at people across the board with fancy titles like editors and chiefs, founders and CEOs, to under-the-radar activists who are changing the world one person at a time. I want to get to the bottom of how they first discovered their passion, how they channel their talent consistently, and ultimately how their active ingredient is making the world a better place. Today's episode is with Farron Weiner, an award-winning brand architect and founder of Fahrenheit, a new age brand marketing agency. She is also the host of the Fahrenheit podcast, which is one of my absolute favorite personal growth and industry podcasts. I honestly love it. If you guys like Active Ingredient, I'm sure you're going to love her podcast. I highly recommend it. Prior to building Fahrenheit, she was the vice president of marketing and brand innovation at Sweetgreen. Before that, she was the senior global director of digital, social, and creative communications at Michael Kors Worldwide, where she oversaw integrated editorial, digital, and social media strategy, and she's held several previous impressive titles. On today's episode, we get into Farron's career journey and how all of her previous roles led her to starting Fahrenheit, the intersection of life and work, and how building a brand is really similar to building a life, finding the courage to always follow what you're in alignment with and letting go of things that aren't, even if that disappoints people, living in the pursuit of clarity. And lastly, we get into the importance of creating a filter of what matters most to you and how this will ultimately help you take decisive next steps. So with that, let's get into this week's episode with Farron Weiner. I think that like for this specific podcast, that first question is important because it weaves into what the whole point is, which is the person's active ingredient, which is another way of saying their deeper mission or their purpose. So I, I've found that with a lot of the people that I've had on the podcast, there's um, kind of a common denominator with what their active ingredient is now and what their childlike self was. So I always kick off the podcast asking the oh. guest what they were like as a kid that they remember oh my God. and if there are qualities that you see in yourself today. I think for me, that's really easy. I think I was a really passionate kid. From as far as I can remember, every time I became really interested in something, it was sort of this all-intensive excitement and passion. I can think of a few times of my life as a a child where that really, really came to life. Um, I started working when I was seven. This is actually a really interesting story (laughs) that I don't talk about often. But when I was seven years old, I saw... A commercial on TV, and I looked at my parents and I was like, I want to do that. 
And my parents were like, oh, please, dear, no. I have no idea what the commercial was, but like, I was like, I want to do whatever that girl's doing. And at seven years old, I literally wrote, and like, this sounds so antiquated now, but like the internet didn't exist. So like, I went to the yellow pages. Um, I looked up like agencies for acting and modeling. And I wrote in crayon letters to agencies in Miami. I grew up in Miami. I ended up getting signed by a local agency in Miami. And at seven, I really started my first job it was totally because of me. Like my parents, I think in the end, it became like a huge pain in the ass because they had to shut me all over the place. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, this seven-year-old of ours, can she just relax? But I think I never first, I think what that really represented was I was always incredibly passionate. Like if I said I wanted to do something or if I had an idea that I wanted to do something, I dove into it completely head first. And I just took a lot of creative energy to everything that I did. And that was really my first... Yeah, very entrepreneurial. And that was my first creative expression, I think. It translated when I was seven, from about seven till I would say midway through high school in sort of the world of photography. And I was just as obsessed behind the camera as I was being in front of it. That Then that translated into so many different forms of creative expression that I think are very prevalent in how passionate I am about what I do today. And by the way, yeah, like this was at seven from seven to let's say 15. I just really learned like if you put your mind to something and you really give it a lot of heart and energy, passion and hard work, you really can kind of do anything you want. And so that was really where the journey, I guess, of being an entrepreneur began. Yeah. I mean, I don't know you personally, but from what I see, (laughs) I feel like it's definitely in your day to day now. Um, Yeah. It's tiring. Yeah. (laughs) So what did you think you wanted to be? I mean, you were going down this path, but like, what what did you think your career was going to look like? What were you going after? And what what did you see for yourself at that like high school, college age? Oh, it's such an interesting story because I translated sort of that creative expression into what I thought I wanted to do, which was film and TV and acting. And I ended up going to NYU. I went to the Tisch program um, for the arts and was pretty hardcore uh, about it. And then in my mid-20s, I went, or early 20s, I guess, I went on semester at sea. And on semester at sea, which is a study abroad program where you travel around the world on a boat, it was the first time I really saw the world. And the minute, like, within a week of being on this trip, I knew that there was something about this idea of a global community that really struck me. And I immediately changed course. What's really interesting about having gone to acting school is that I think there's a couple of things that you take from it that have definitely impacted me and applied to my, my life and career now. One, the, abil- the ability to understand yourself and the ability to be self-aware. You know, acting is sort of all about tapping into your own emotions and understanding like what makes you tick, what makes you cry, what makes you hurt, what makes you happy, what makes you excited. So I think at a very young age through the NYU education, I really learned a lot about myself. And then I also learned a lot about the other person. So being aware of the other person and how they're reacting, their emotions, how things land on them. There's a lot of psychology in acting psychology that I think made me able to become a marketer. I had no plan. 
I think so the like, idea how did you identify that like at sea and you were ready to change tracks. Like how did you identify that marketing was going to be that thing? That's not like a, Oh, I didn't obvious please. Choice, oh, know? I didn't. It was like years of journeys and trial and error. I didn't at all. What I realized on that trip was I want to tell stories about real people in real places. And that was really where the shift of like, I want to be in front of the camera to behind the camera really began. So I came back from that trip and I actually ended up taking internships. I talk a lot about all the internships that I had because I hustled for free for many years. And I took an internship. You know, I did a pilot TV program for Discovery Channel. I spent the summer in India. I went to, um, I worked as a PA at National Geographic um, as an intern. I worked at travel publications. I worked at Daily Candy Travel in the early days. And I sort of started to really dissect the world of global storytelling, which at that time felt like travel. Yeah, what year was this? Oh it my God. This was like, this pre is Instagram? the early, yeah. Oh, this is like pre-Facebook opening its API okay. to brands. So this is like pre-all social. And I actually ended up going back to NYU to study new media in a global context. And I got my master's and I really was sort of like, okay, I've now unlocked this idea that there's a global world out there and that there are fascinating stories about real people and real communities. And at that time, the world of media was really unlocking. You didn't need a record deal. You didn't need a book deal. You didn't need a you know, conglomerate business entity to tell your story. Blogging was just starting. The internet was really unlocking. Twitter launched in, these, in the early days of this. And so all of a sudden, there was, these, there was this unlimited ability for people to communicate their stories and reach, globally, reach people globally within one minute. I took an internship at Daily Candy and one of my early day jobs was when we were going to feature a brand on the website, I had to contact that brand to let them know that their website might crash from the traffic. Wow. And it was really this mix of commerce and content where I started to say, okay, this is super interesting. And that led me to jetsetter.com. And Guilt Group, which was the parent brand of Jetsetter, had just launched. They were in the heyday of sort of the flash sale online platform. Mm -hmm. And they launched the travel platform, jetsetter.com. And I went and I literally begged for a job. Like, so how long called, were you there for? Called daily, <laughs> banged the door down, and then got a job as like the lowest on the totem pole on the team. Stayed there for an incredible three years, worked for amazing leaders. Um, I loved every minute of it. And then ultimately that was the journey of where I went from being like a creative and a creator to a marketer. Because during those years, social boomed and social media became a thing. And what I was your job when you started? And, yeah. What was your job when you started and how did it transition into the marketing role? I think when I first started at JetSetter, my official job was an editorial assistant. And I think my job, if I'm thinking about this right, was to wrangle writers and photographers around the world to help us write the pieces we needed to around the hotels. Now, what's so interesting is today, that would take me one minute. Mm -hmm. I'd go on Instagram. I'd say, all right, oh, this blogger's in this market. Great. We need to do a hotel review in Mumbai. I can find someone in a second that's there. Back in the day, I was looking at like local newspapers, sourcing, the, trying to find the contact information for a writer whose byline I could find, or looking at magazines like Vogue or Harper's Bazaar, where they had global reach. It was really about sort of this discovery of talent in these different markets who could go and stay at a hotel, write a review for us, and really help us to tell that story to our audience. So I think I started as an editorial assistant. I think I pretty quickly moved up into more of a marketing generalist role, and social media literally happened in the middle. 
Like I remember the day Twitter launched and it was like, I couldn't sleep. Like I was so excited about all these new forms of mutual communication that I just raised the hand and said, let me be the one to figure this out. I'm curious how you like started learning it and how you kind of got the stamp of approval from your bosses to to start those new platforms. I mean, it's scary for for brands that are, you know, very traditional or have done things the way that it's been done for the past 10 years, you know, to move into that space and then like looking at who you are today, being so well versed in it. Like how was someone like helping you navigate it? Was it completely on you? Like how was that? The people who were helping me navigate were the others around me. You know, I think there was an incredibly powerful moment in time where there was such a strong community of people around the world who were excited about social, who were interested in social media, who wanted to figure out how does it translate for brands. And there was such an unbelievable sharing of information and knowledge. Some of the best business relationships that I have to this day are people I met on Twitter in 2000 and I don't know the right year, 2007 six who were experimenting on those platforms. I remember in the early days, specifically in travel, in the travel community, you could go on Twitter at any time of the day and the same 50 to hundred people were there. I mean, I feel like I didn't sleep for a handful of months because I was just like so excited. It was really actually my first experience in what it meant to create and lit and be a part of a really tight knit community. Like I had done that personally, but in more of the business structure, which I think is something that's carried through with me to this day. And I think something that brands really try to cultivate now more than ever. Um, How did I do it? I think I was really lucky enough to have leaders who were always curious, interested, and ready to try new things. And I think back to what we talked about earlier, I always had a passion. You can even feel it like me talking about it right now that I probably just convinced them, you know, like I probably just raised a hand and was like, let me figure this out and let me try it. And I didn't know a lot. Like, I don't want to make it sound like I just, I mean, there wasn't a lot to know. Like it was, yeah, there wasn't a lot to know, but also like I stumbled and I failed a lot. There was tons of mistakes from small mistakes, like tweeting as a brand, but you meant to send the tweet as your own, um, to just completely having like tech issues or launch issues. There was, but there was an ability to fail. I think back then that actually I would say social media teams, and leaders today do not have. A hundred percent. Like today you can't screw up. No, absolutely. I mean, especially right now, but I'm curious to know at what point in this role, did you really, really feel, I don't know if there was just one or it was a culmination, but did you really feel the power that these tools had for brand building um, versus it being like a fringe thing that you were doing on the side? I'm going to say two answers to that. And I think the first one was they're both probably not what you think. But the first answer is I started to get all of my information there. I remember when I stopped really reading anywhere but Twitter, you know? And again, this was a year that Twitter launched. um, Facebook, I believe, opened its API to brands that year. So it wasn't just for individuals. Brands could now activate on the platform and you could really build technology and apps on the platform itself. This was pre-Instagram. And I want to say Pinterest launched probably a little bit later or right right around there. Um, don't quote me on any of those dates. This is a long time ago, but I really recognized, like I started to get information faster and more in real time than like anyone. Like mm-hmm. I was on ahead of all of the travel news. And I, at the time that's where we were, you know, I was right. at, in a tra- at a travel company. So I think that was the first moment. And I think the second moment was people started to recognize in the industry what Jet Setter was doing on Twitter 
And we were getting outreach from people, which really to me was a signal that this is influencing people mm-hmm. and making an impact. We were talking to customers. We were talking to brands. We were talking to travel magazines who maybe wouldn't even have recognized us. So it just became this really incredible forum for passionate people wanting to have really in-depth conversations. And I think part of why I have such a love for social media is because of what it was built to do Mm -hmm. and what it unlocked for people around the world to be able to share and to create and to inspire, you know, is sort of unparalleled. Yeah. So after this role at Jet Setter, what was your next move? Yeah. So I think that Jet Setter really codified all of this creative energy I had when I was younger and this sort of amalgamous creativity that I had, right? Mm-hmm. That I had that I had been exploring in different mediums and forms. I think Jet Setter really codified like I was, I wanted to go into marketing. Mm-hmm. And I ended up going over to Michael Kors. I have a Michael question before Kors, we get yeah. into the details of Michael Kors when you started, like how much was social a part of that job description when you went? And like, what, I guess, what was a marketing role at that point versus what it is today? At where? At Jet Setter? Or at- when you were leaving Jet Setter to Michael Kors and you realized that you wanted to go into marketing, like what was yeah. the role that you were going for and how is it different than what a marketing role today looks like? Well, the role I was going for at Michael was their first ever social media hire. Oh. So, so basically I was... I was at Jet Setter. I think social media had just hit that inflection point where it was like, okay, this is clear that it's here to say. Mm-hmm. Brands were still a little unclear of what to do, how to invest in it, and really what it meant for their companies. But the leaders, I think, across the leaders globally across different industries and 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 business and businesses were really starting to invest. And so, as a really great example, um, there was a couple of brands ar- around the world that were just starting the beginning. Uh, beginnings of investing in social media and Michael Kors wanted to and was ready to be one of them. So I ended up getting an incredible offer to go to Michael Kors really before um, a massive undertaking of international expansion as the first ever social media hire. Um, It was honestly a true gift. Working for Michael and the CEO, John Idol, was like one of the greatest experiences of my life. How did that opportunity come? That opportunity totally came um, through a, like a reference. I got reached out to directly by the new by the new head of marketing from Michael. She had just joined. Um, she had heard about me, and I think very much so. At that time, my understanding of social, which like who understood social, right. you know, it was like we were all just experimenting. But my understanding, or maybe my passion for social, my understanding and love for cultures and communities around the world, which spoke to my ability to work on an international scale, mm-hmm. um, I think, and my sort of ability to flex between marketing and creative, which is really yeah. where I see myself, really lent me lent itself well to what was going to become this role. So I remember going into Michael's office for the first time and having to explain to him why I was there and what my job was. And it took me a really long time to really create a level of excitement around social. But once I did... Uh, it was such a great example of leaders giving accountability and permission for their employees to fly mm-hmm. because there was no roadmap. Again, where I was learning was from my colleagues. I was learning from people around me, from other brands, from other people passionate about social in the space. And it was, everything was a first. And so I went to Michael Kors as the director of social media. I was the first ever hire and I was responsible for First, understanding what does this 
mean for Michael here in the U.S.? And then what does it mean for Michael Kors as we expand internationally in all of our markets worldwide? So I was able to go to Japan, to China, to Brazil, to Dubai, and really figure out how do we tap into that community and really build what we know of as social and digital today. I'm curious, in the beginning of this role, did you feel like you had a seat at the table in every marketing meeting? Like, Were people taking the role as seriously as they do today when you started? Yes and no. I think I had a seat at the table when there was a question because I was the only one who could answer it, Mm -hmm. which again is so different today because now it's like literally like you're the front line, you know, like the the social person is the first point person to the consumer. So like, and and also everyone understands. And everyone understands today. Like everyone in some capacity uses social personally, professionally, their Mm -hmm. kids use it, their dad uses it, their husband's obsessed with it. I mean, there's an opinion everywhere, which I think makes it really challenging. Whereas back in the day when someone had a question, it really came to me or my team to answer. Do I think everyone took me seriously in terms of the impact that social would later on become? Definitely not. And there was definitely back to sort of like that core active ingredient, like passion is the only thing that got me through that because it was a constant, it was a constant uphill battle. How do I fight for budget when there's no precedent? How do I fight for resources when there's no precedent? I mean, how did you build it? How did you build it? I fought. Like what, what did you literally do to like showcase? Like this is the ROI I would get if you gave me this amount of dollars. Yeah. I mean, I think that a lot of what I think about brand building is that a really great brand builder's job is being on a roadshow. What I mean by that is it is your job to constantly and effectively convince people to lead the brand in their function. So from how your customer service team talks to upset customers, to how your social media team is presenting your brand online, to how your product team is buying into product, Mm -hmm. everyone should be able to think through the filter of your brand, your message, your values, your mission, your purpose, but that's a muscle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very amalgamous sort of idea, right? There's no bullet, there's no silver bullet for how that gets led. Um, and so my job I've always felt was to effectively lead that through communicating. And so there was not a day that went by where I wasn't talking about why this is relevant for the brand, why our strategy as a brand needs to be brought through these channels. Getting people excited about the potential to be a first mover was a huge part of my strategy. Um, And I think I, you know, anything, like anything, right? Like if you're an entrepreneur out there today or you're a marketer and you're trying to get a seat at the table, I think it's about creating real clarity, creating a point of view and pressure testing your point of view against all the things that you could not be thinking about. And going into a room where you might, where you have authority and can effectively stand up and say, listen, this might fail, but I've done all the work I can to be able to confidently walk in here and tell you, like, let me try it. And that that. was really what it was about. It was just about me getting like badass enough to be able to walk into a room with executive leaders and fight for what I really believed in. Does that, is that like innate in you? Is that something that you actively work on? Or yeah, walk me through, <laughs> walk me through that. Because I feel like it's a really amazing quality and something that you absolutely need when you Thank are you. kind of going through these new and navigating new waters. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious, like, is that something that you proactively work on? To half of it, yes. And half of it, no. I think the sort of like fight for what I believe comes inherently natural, mm-hmm. comes in, is inherent to me and who I am. And 
Um, but I always like to say, I will stand up for anything as long as I really believe it. Like yeah. I'm happy to sit back when I don't know something. And definitely over the years of being in, in marketing and being in branding and just growing in my career, I've really learned to cherish what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And really be confident enough to say, I have no idea about that. That's not my area of expertise. But when it is my area of expertise, I think it's my job. I think it is my job to really put a stake in the ground and try to fight for what I do believe is right for my brands, for founders, for my team. Um, the challenging more part for me is I'm really an instinct person. I've learned everything. You know, I didn't go to school for marketing or business. I've learned everything and tested everything on instinct. So balancing that instinct with those insights, with the inputs, with pressure testing, with data, that's the area that I have to push myself on more and more every day. Yeah. So you work for Michael Kors, obviously amazing company, really, really cool to say that you're the first hire social media marketing girl at Michael Kors. I'm sure that, that was me. Identity, a lot of identity comes with that, you know, especially like as you're yeah. building your career. Um, a big part of this podcast is for a person that's like transitioning or trying to like look at new opportunities and see whether or not it's worth it for them to make the jump. Um, and then after Michael Kors, you went to Sweet Green, which was a more local shop at the time. Yeah. Um, they've definitely expanded a ton. I'm curious to know what that thought process was like to go from a Michael Kors that is, you know, recognized all over the globe to Sweet Green, which is now recognized with the, at the time that you went, it was not. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to know what that transition was like. Yeah. I mean, I love this question because my career has been this combination of instinct and opportunity and passion. It has not been a perfect line. You know, it has not been this very clear path. And I like this question because I think it's important for people who are starting in their career or want to change their career to understand that everyone has a different story. And for me, I'm so grateful for my story because the diversity of my experiences have led me to where I am right now. And I'm really grateful for where I am right now. And so I really learned a couple of things through the lens of Michael Kors. What I learned working at Michael Kors um, sort of became this filter for decision-making that still today holds true for me. One, I was completely obsessed with the idea of working at a company that had a really strong story to be told. When I first got introduced to the Michael Kors team, there was so much there that hadn't been told that I just felt so excited about being able to share with the world that to me, there's like this first question of like, is there a story to be told? The second question that I really learned was I like fast-paced, high-growth environments. Mm -hmm. I do not do well um, driving, you know, sort of... Yeah, (laughs) yeah, I don't want to really like... I want to like build the submarine. I don't want to run, drive, I, you know, I don't want to be the, the driver of it. Very odd yeah, yeah, yeah. example, metaphor. <laughs> um, so fast paced, high growth startups, high growth companies where I can really build. And at Michael Kors, it was a build because it was building this team, this environment, this structure for the first time ever that hadn't existed. Um, and we really got to bring that to life globally um, in multiple different teams and, 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 strategies and platforms. And it was just really an incredible thing. So one, is there a story to be told? Two, is it fast paced and high growth? Three, do I think I can make an impact? And four, are there opportunities for me to both learn 
from people around me and to teach. I realized that teaching was like definitely something that I love to do and actually fueled me more. Being able to develop talent, being able to work with young entrepreneurs, individuals, marketers, and help them in their careers has always been something that fulfilled me. I kind of learned it at the end of Michael Kors where I was really like codifying Uh what I wanted to do. Um, And I ended up meeting the founders of Sweetgreen many years before that, became friends with them, became obsessed with the brand, obsessed with the mission. And it was just the perfect opportunity for me to first answer to all of those needs. And second, really take on that first full breadth marketing role. And Sweetgreen was, you know, seven years into the business, they had a cult-like following. They had built a pretty remarkable community around the brand. And really the job was take what already exists and figure out how do we scale it. And I had just done that in some ways for Michael. Right. But I was taking on a new opportunity. Right. Right. I was social media. So then going to Sweetgreen, which again, like not as big as Michael Kors. So like, I still want to hit that identity question because I think it's really important for the listener, but then going to a new role at a smaller company and going into a larger a larger role for yourself in marketing kind of as an umbrella. How yeah. did you, how did you learn? Did you learn on the fly? Like how did you like figure out what yeah. that role even meant? How did you build yeah. teams not knowing that, you know? There's a few things. So about a year and a half into Michael Kors, my role expanded uh-huh. and I ended up sort of overseeing, I would say, let's call it 25% of, of marketing. Okay. I was not responsible for, for, I was not responsible for traditional marketing channels at all. Now, I was a partner in how are we weaving a story 360 Mm -hmm. and often a member of that creative discussion. I worked very closely with the creative team at Michael Kors to help concept and think through what campaigns looked like because for the first time ever, the bulk of campaigns were being activated online. Mm -hmm. And that was new, right? So whereas... Um, I didn't oversee all of marketing. I ended up really learning a lot and taking on a lot of responsibility around 360 omni-channel marketing, campaign development. I took on influencer. I took on some paid acquisition. Um, I really was able to flex and learn. And I also had incredible leaders that because I represented these new forms of media and marketing at Michael brought me into a lot of the executive level decisions and conversations because I was the person that represented those channels. So I definitely got a sort of crash course in marketing um, over that year and a half. I felt like going from, you know, this one, you know, if you think about my journey, right? I started on the creative side of the fence. Mm -hmm. Then I went into social. Then I took over, let's just call it a wider breadth around you know, new age is what we kind of used to call it, but new age marketing. Mm -hmm. And then I was really ready to take on that full breath. And there was a lot I did not know. There was a lot I had never done before. There was definitely a learning curve. I like to say that Michael Kors was where I earned a marketing master's, whereas Sweetgreen was more like, yeah, whereas Sweetgreen was more like business school. Sweetgreen was really a massive challenge, a huge opportunity for me to learn what it meant to be a leader, what it meant for me to be an operator, Um, and of course flex all of the muscles that I had already built around brand building. And ultimately the question you had asked, it wasn't a decision of like going from a bigger company to a smaller company. I think that it was more of like, for me, again, the decision was I can go to a mission driven company and make an impact. I can go to a digitally and socially native company where there, that is the core and forefront of marketing, not the transformation. I can work for incredible leaders and founders. I was in a position of leadership so I could teach. And it was the most fast-paced, most you know, high growth. 
uh, roller coaster that you could possibly imagine. So ultimately, for all of those reasons, that's why I decided to make the leap and the change. And I think if I have to give advice to anybody out there, it's kind of like remove yourself from what you think of the of the the business or the brand or the opportunity from the outside looking in, right? Because a brand that's like on fire today might not be tomorrow. A business that's on trend today might not be tomorrow. And I would really ask yourself like, what matters most to you? What are the things that make you wake up every day excited? What are the things that are going to help you get to that next place in your life or your career and your aspirations? What matters most? And create a little bit of like a filter for what matters most to me. And by the way, what matters most to you might be, I want to be at the coolest, one of the coolest brands in the country. And that's cool. That's awesome. But if that's, and if that's one of your reasons for being, use it. But if it's not, you actually might uncover there are other things you're really looking for that might lead you down a different path or a different, you know, next step. That's honestly one of the best pieces of advice that have been said on this podcast. I'll be here all week, you know. I mean, incredible, incredible advice. And especially right now with the uncertainty that a lot of people are feeling. Um, I think it's something that you obviously want to think twice about. Um, But I think that that's absolutely incredible advice and seeing it from that view versus just, yeah, I think it's really valuable. Like search for your reason, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, I love the idea of an active ingredient because look at what your active ingredient is. And Also, I think one of the things I've learned, there's a lot of ego in business. There's a lot of ego, especially for me. And I think for a lot of people in their 20s in your career, if you're someone who's really driven, you kind of want to grow and grow and grow. And there's a lot of um, merit, if you will, and I think benefit to thinking about it more through the lens of how can I impact others? How can I make a really strong impact and become valuable? Mm -hmm. When I went to Michael Kors, I was so certain that I could make an impact. I knew that I was going to add so much value to the company because I was in a position and put in a position to crush my job. Had I at that time tried to take on more than I really knew because I wanted a bigger title or I wanted a bigger job, I wouldn't have been as successful. And so I think I really now more than ever really value the moments where I'm set up for success because it makes me be able to walk into the room like we talked about before and be super confident and be like, I can crush that for you. And that's an exciting place to start from. Love it. So how long were you at Sweet Green for? What were your biggest learnings during that time? And I'm also curious to know at what point up until this, this uh, Sweet yeah. Green spot. We have a long start, journey here. Yeah. Did you start having like the itch to potentially work for yourself one day? Yeah. I was at Sweet Green for an incredible three years, was there for what I like to think of as the national expansion and growth. Mm-hmm. Sweet Green was basically a lesson, as I said, in how to operate, how to be a leader, what it means to have accountability and responsibility for your community, for your customers, and for your team and yourself. I think it really was that experience that elevated me, if I'm being honest, to a place of being more conscious about the decisions I make and how it impacts people around me. Um, Sweet Green was sort of this like personal and professional growth experience. You can feel it. You can feel it yeah. when you step into any Sweet Green. You can still feel it even though they've scaled like crazy. And if you ask me one of the best learnings, you just hit on it, which is what happens inside the company happens outside. And the number one lesson I learned as a brand builder was if you build an authentic, real culture, if you build an authentic, real product, if you build an authentic, real approach to anything, 
the rest of the world will feel it. And it is actually much easier to build a successful brand. Mm-hmm. Anytime I get a whiff that we're faking it, I immediately now sort of have this wall, wall that goes up. If you don't want to fix the root problem, if you don't want to start at the root, it's actually probably not the place. Like that's probably not a brand or a business that I want to work at or work for. Right. You can really feel it internally. And I think Sweetgreen as a business and a brand has a radical commitment to their culture, to their team, to their values, to their mission. And it is living and breathing every day at the company. It is in every conversation. It is in every strategy. It's in every plan. It's in every decision. And that is a lesson that will not only never leave me, but deeply impacted my life personally and how I lead my company. It's something I I really wonder, like when you scale, how do you keep that? You know, like how do you keep that? You fight. I'm so aggressive, you know, like everything's so hardcore with me, but you fight for it. You really fight for it because you are going to be challenged at every turn. You're going to be challenged financially to make decisions that go against it. You're going to be challenged with your team, with culture, with time. Time is a huge piece of the puzzle. When you're building a massive, forget a massive, when you're building any sized business or company, you're constantly faced with the challenge of time and making a commitment to say, how do I carve the time to build my culture, to hold true to my values is a commitment. Like anything, it is a commitment. You know, I really been thinking a lot lately about the idea of discipline and that we are all very disciplined in certain things, right? I am someone who doesn't work out consistently. I try, but I've never been a consistent worker at her. And it's like, I've realized I'm so deeply committed to not working out consistently. You know, just reverse. Right. Like I just need to reverse it. So I think we're all committed to things. Brands and businesses are really no different. And in terms of being an entrepreneur, I think from the beginning, I I was one. I've always been an entrepreneur. And for me, the opportunities that came that felt right, that fit my values and my filter that I've talked a lot about were ones at incredible organizations and companies with leaders. Mm -hmm. After Sweet Green. I had been doing this for about 13, 14 years. And I really knew I was ready for a moment of pause in myself. And it was only in that moment of pause that I started to sort of ruminate on the idea of what is now Fahrenheit, which is where we are really? today. And I think like everything- You never had the thought before. Well, ironically, I bought the URL for Fahrenheit in high school. So I'd been sitting on the name, but no. It's an I had incredible never... name. Thank it's you so, so much. so good. I give all the credit to my dad and my mom for naming me Farron, you know, but... um, (laughs) What does Farron mean? So Farron, it's actually really, that's an interesting story. So Farron is my grandmother and grandfather combined, Francis and Aaron. Their celebrity name? Yes, my celebrity (laughs) name. And there was actually never a definition for it. Like I was always that kid that could like never know what my name meant. And then I want to say about 10 years ago, Google populated a meaning and the meaning is adventurous, which I find to be very appropriate. Wow. Um, Back to sort of what we were just discussing in terms of the path, the moment of thinking about what Fahrenheit and what Fahrenheit now is, which we can talk about, only came in a pause. It came in a moment of me pausing. It came in a moment of me really getting comfortable with the fact that I didn't know what was next. Part of me felt really... You quit Sweet Green. Sorry to interrupt, but you quit Sweet Green without a plan. You just knew that you needed time off. Like, did you save to be able to do that? Like, give us the logistics on how that happened. Yeah. I had a very long-term plan of leaving Sweet Green in the best of hands, taking care of my team and transitioning the right way. I took... I wanted to take two to three months off in very fair and fashion. I only took two. Uh 
but I traveled. I went to India for a month and I went to Uruguay for about a month. And I knew that I really just wanted to sort of like, after really 13 years of hustling, take a moment to really regroup. And I came back to New York after this traveling and I just started exploring. And again, I think like being really transparent, I felt like there was a lot of pressure to like have that answer and have that decision. And I kept saying like, I'm going through like a quarter career crisis. Like I had no, what do I want to be when I grew up? I really had no idea. Um, And there was a lot of the traditional path of continuing on in marketing, becoming a CMO, becoming a CBO, whatever that role could be, that just was not inspiring me. It just felt like there was something not aligned, which is ironic because I had just spent, you know, 13 years sort of like climbing my way up Mm -hmm. really in position of that. And in a weird way, it was very freeing to say, actually, I don't want to do that. And let me go sort of have fun figuring out what comes next. So that's where I, that's where I was after this week. Before we get into like the full, full Fahrenheit, cause I'm very excited to get to that. Um, I don't know if I heard this or read this incorrectly, but did you start a different business before Fahrenheit? Yeah. Okay. I want to get into that because I, I mean, if you're, if you feel comfortable. Um, oh my God. I feel like I should give everyone on this podcast, my cell phone number. Cause you all know me very intimately <laughs> at this you don't point. Have to, I mean, we can edit yeah. if you don't want to. I'm just no, are you kidding? I'm know. ready. Let's do it. Okay. So on that point, left Sweetgreen, took some time off, started experimenting, got connected through a venture um, capitalist VC friend of mine mm-hmm. to another partner. And we started working on a pre-launch startup was so excited about it, was really in that founder, um, co-CEO seat, building a brand. And for a lot of different reasons, it wasn't right. I think um, I worked on it for nine months, um, got to experience... What was really cool about it, I will say, is that I got to experience the only part of a business I hadn't yet, which was pre-launch. And I was at jetsetter.com pre-launch, but they were pre-launch under guilt. So there was resources. Mm. There was sort of um, already a roadmap in place. This was the first time that I was really like back of a napkin, no money in the bank. Where do we be? Oh, so you guys did not fundraise for this. We fund, we ended oh, up fundraising. Did. We ended up fundraising over so the course of nine learning. months. Yeah. Went over the course of nine months, started from scratch, learned an incredible amount got to experience the entire journey of what that is like for these early stage founders. Um, And then really, if I'm being honest, realized it was just not in alignment with me. And having the courage to stand up and say, I could continue doing this and make everyone happy, or I can do what feels right for me and disappoint some people was one of the hardest and best experiences of my life. That's one of the hardest things any human has to go through. I think on every from a personal business, all of those levels, um, especially when you have your name attached to it, I feel even more so. So kudos to you for being able to recognize it and then remove yourself before it got too late. Yeah. Um, and I want to say on that point, you know, show up. If you're in a challenging moment, show up in a way you're going to be proud of, Mm -hmm. right? Once I came to this feeling in my gut that I had to do this, the question became, how do I do this in the best way that I think I can with as much respect and again, gratitude and grace as I possibly can for others. But I almost felt like once this was, once this sort of journey had completed, I had nothing to lose. You know, I had in my mind and in my heart, I I sort of, (laughs) in my mind and in my heart, I felt like I had failed. A little bit. And a lot of us are so afraid of failure. And I had done it. Like, I don't know that everyone would agree. And this is where you can tell I'm hard on myself, right? Like I had failed and realized, okay, I still woke up the next morning and like really, honestly, probably within a few weeks, no one cared. 
You know, like we all are so afraid. Yeah. We're all so afraid of what everyone thinks. And if, if we really think about it, even us, when we think of like our friends that have potentially failed or have gone through anything, like people are obsessed with themselves and they literally will forget in totally, totally. And also we all fail, you Mm -hmm. know, for like the greatest leaders, entrepreneurs and founders in, in the world. I mean, they, there is not a single one that doesn't have a story Mm -hmm. where they screwed up, where they made a mistake where they did the wrong thing yeah. or where they, or where they believe they failed. Failure is really subjective, but, um, you know, on one hand I could say I failed on the other. I could totally say I took a, che- I took a risk. I put it all out there. I tried my best and it ultimately brought me to a place of clarity of what I really wanted to do. Is so that a failure? Long? Yeah. Who knows? You know? How long, when, at what point did you realize it wasn't what you wanted to do? And then how long from that point until you actually removed yourself from it? I think there was a gut instinct that I had for a moment in time there, but I think when it really became like a conscious thing, I I did it pretty swiftly. Back to sort of like, how do I lead with respect? I knew that taking any more time wouldn't really be right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that I wanted to do the the right thing as best as I could for the people around me. Um, And in the end, it was like, okay, you know, startups, a lot of startups launch and try and some work and some don't. And in the world, you know, in your universe, that feels like a mountain, but in the world around us, it's sort of the cost of doing business. And Mm -hmm. sometimes you'll be successful. Sometimes you won't. And also my perception of what success meant really changed because I think once I let go of the fear, once I screwed up in my mind and failed, I had nothing to lose. Was that the first like failure that you had gone through? Oh, I mean, no, I think like we can all talk about micro and macro failures, you know? Right, but like, like the, the first like failure that when you're like 70 years old and going through your journey, would you say that this was the first one? Probably not, but it was definitely a meaningful one okay. because it, it, it cracked me in a way that has gotten me to where I am and has had made me reframe what I thought was important. Yeah. And when, when that experience was over... I really first looked back to the filter that I had created, but I also for the first time looked at a filter of like, what are you really good at? What do you want to do every day? And just go have some fun. I think I had lost a little bit of the fun in what I was doing. And that is really where Fahrenheit began. All right, now I, let's get yeah. into Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah. So how long from coming up with the idea of starting Fahrenheit, what was your vision for Fahrenheit? I, I know that you're big on clarity. I loved your podcast um, episode Thank specifically so on much. clarity. Um, yeah, did you have it when you were thinking no. about it? Walk me through no. the moment that you realized that you wanted to start this agency um, and what your first steps were in creating it. There really wasn't a plan, to be honest. So what I actually really started doing was listening. So I sort of set out to say, all right, how can I be successful and happy at the same time? Like that seemed like a fun challenge. I had nothing to lose and everything to gain. So I was a bit fearless. And I really just started to listen, started to listen to founders and VCs and entrepreneurs out there around sort of like what challenges, what challenges they were facing in their early days of growth around brand, right? For me, I'm a storyteller. That is what I know how to do. And I believe that one of my superpowers is how I can help founders better tell their story. Sometimes that's through their own personal work. Sometimes that's through their team. Sometimes it's through a channel like social or digital or email. You know, sometimes it's tactical and sometimes it's emotional. And 
if we're being really transparent, some business owners and founders really value it and want it and crave it and want to build an engaged, authentic community where their story is critically important. And some generally don't. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's cool too. But I think that I started to hear a lot of stories of founders who were looking for better ways to build their brand and to tell their stories. And they didn't have a partner really in crime to help them navigate that. And so what started out as me really working with a handful of brands very swiftly turned into what we call ourselves, which is a brand marketing SWAT team. We work with founders at early stages of growth to help them launch or relaunch anything and really thinking through what is the right approach and strategy? How do we help them cultivate the story? And then how do we actually like boots on the ground to help them get this thing live? Because we all know what it's like to work at a startup. It's fast paced, it's high growth, it's intense, mm-hmm. and there's like a lot of hands that are needed. So how do we just jump in and add that value? So we ended up going from really a handful of us just working on a handful of brands to today, we are about 15 fem- all females at Fahrenheit working at any given time around 10 to 15 brands, really helping them again to cultivate cultivate their story and build their brand. Baron, that's so impressive. How Thank long you. have you guys been in business? We've been in business for about a year and a half, I would wow. say. Um, and really a lot of it is we've been in business for a year and a half. And a lot of it, I would say, has been trial and error and learning, right? Really through the lens of listening. What do our founders need? If we start to hear the same thing over and over again, then we say, okay, maybe we should build that. We, we start really by listening. We, Does that mean like from a logistical standpoint that you have a contractor for that role, that for that one to two founder that wants that one thing? And then if you hear maybe like five to seven of your founders ask for the same thing, then it's a full-time hire. Like, I'm curious to know how you actually go about building this team, like how you went from just you working with a few brands to getting to today to have 15 employees and... 10 to 15 brands. That's, that's a big difference. Yeah. I think to be honest, it starts with me doing it. There's really like no job too small. Mm -hmm. If I can work on it for a founder and create clarity around how could we do this in an effective way? What is the right path towards helping to support their needs? What does it look like? Right. A little different from being full-time in house. Mm -hmm. Once I figure it out, then we figure out if it's something we hire for and then help to really bring into the mix. Um, you know, we take a lot of passion and pride on working with founders to help them build their brands. It is a very heavy role and responsibility that we mm-hmm. don't take lightly. You know, we talk a lot at Fahrenheit about caring, like deeply caring about the work that we do, about the brands that we're building. And we look at our success like the founder's success. So the same KPIs that the businesses is looking at as it relates to growing their business and brand, we internally rate ourselves on the same. So I think how we get there is has been really thoughtful growth, um, taking on brands or challenges that we know we can support and make an impact on. That's a question we ask ourselves constantly. And I would say for as many brands as we've worked with, we've turned down just as many, where I will look very directly at the founder and say, don't hire me. You know, we had a really, really big business reach out to us in the middle of um, COVID actually, in early spring, unbelievable opportunity. Most agencies I think would have taken it. Um, definitely at that critical time where businesses were trying to figure out how to stay afloat. 
And we just wrote them and said, we're less than a year into our business. We don't feel comfortable taking this type of a project on. Wow. I really respect that. Thank you. Especially every business person out there is like, you idiot. No, 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 no. If if it's a good business person, then they're like, no, that's the smartest move that you could have done for longevity. And I I think it's a hundred percent the right, the right step. But I, I am curious to know how you... I mean, it's a fine line, right? Because you definitely want to challenge yourself and expand on different things that like, maybe it's not something that's inherently what you and your team know how to do, but you also want to expand as a marketer and as a, as a person. So what's the fine line between knowing whether or not it's something that you're willing to take a little bit of a risk on to see if you can, if you can take it on versus, um, just saying no, because it's not something that you have as a capability today. Great question. And I think this can relate to anybody who's in business, whether you're at a company or starting your own, um, is asking yourself the tough questions. And I think that we as individuals are faced with challenges every day. And I have this saying that at a certain point, you're always a freshman. So if someone is taking a job as a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, most likely that's their first time in some capacity. Maybe it's not their first time being a CEO, but maybe it's their first time as a CEO at that scale, Mm -hmm. in that industry, in a different work environment, you're always a freshman. So I always like to think about what am I a freshman at versus a senior at? You know, if someone comes to Fahrenheit and there's something that they want where I'm a senior at, it's potentially a different level of, again, that immediate, we've got this and we know how to do this. Mm -hmm. When it comes to experimenting and learning, we have an ethos at Fahrenheit that we do a lot of experimenting on ourselves. So oftentimes we will test strategies, products, ideas, channels, teams on Fahrenheit as a way to be to really get good at something before we roll it out, which is actually a very technology-driven mentality. You learn a lot about brands, you know, the big brands out there like Twitter and Facebook and Pinterest, and they have sort of this like test and learn mentality. They're mm-hmm. constantly shipping product, right? And what I mean by shipping product is they're shipping out new pieces of technology across the platform daily, mm-hmm. seeing what works, testing it with certain audiences, and then over time tweaking it until they're ready for a bigger rollout we take a similar approach to brand. If we can test something on ourselves, we feel more confident being able to bring that to our, to our customers, our clients, and our communities. What I would say is that's an investment. Mm-hmm. And that's an investment that we are willing to make. Part of the beauty of being a, you know, you can test business over you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. you know? So we're like, we're going to do it that way. Um, and I think we've always felt like for us, our goal is to support founders in the early stage of growth and to really help democratize great branding. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to build a brand? Building a brand to me is an internal and external challenge. It is emotionally, right? All of the culture um, and emotions and ego and mission and vision that come with building a brand in a business. And then there's the tactics. What do I, how do I activate my community, right? Mm-hmm. Through storytelling on different channels. And so for us, we really want to help brands build their brand better and leave them in a, in a better position than we found them. So if you think about that as the higher purpose or taller order, taking on what we're good at, no question. Mm-hmm. Taking on what we think we can do and what we think we can crush with transparency, no question. Taking on something that we are not equipped to do and that there's someone better out there to do for them doesn't answer to our mission. And so I think for us, that's the lens that we take and something that's been really meaningful for us as we build Fahrenheit from the ground up. Yeah.
I'm curious because you seem to be so passionate about the actual art. I mean, you're saying that you yourself have to try it first to make sure that it's something that you yeah. can like relay back to your team. But something that I've also noticed starting a company is that as you start growing, you are more and more removed from the actual art of the craft that you are known for and what it is that you actually like doing because you're doing more and more of the business yeah. side of things, right? And it seems like you've grown so much. And as you scale, like I said, it seems like un- until you get to a point where you have a very, very solid team where you can like come in and out as you can, as you please, um, it's hard to it's hard to be in that day to day. So I'm curious for you, who's someone that's so passionate about doing the actual art of it, how do you balance that? How do you balance continuing to build while also still making sure that your view and your touch is still within every single one of your brands? It's a really challenging question. Um, And I think for some people, the doing feels good. We actually talk about this on the Fahrenheit podcast in one of our more recent episodes that's coming out, the sort of idea that productivity is meaningful. Mm -hmm. And for some, especially those with like the hustle mentality, the doing of things, the checking things off of a list feels really, really good. As you get more elevated in your role, right, whether that's as a founder or other, your job becomes much more about leading, directing, guiding, and teaching, right? I always say that the higher up on the totem pole, if you will, that you are, the less you're doing, Mm -hmm. but the less you're doing in terms of like delivering on certain things, but the more you should be doing in terms of teaching, coaching, training, and educating. It is really your job to cultivate great talent. I will never forget this. I was with a founder a few years ago at a dinner and this founder was complaining about coaching. They were complaining about one, you know, there's too many one-on-ones and I, you know, I spent all my time and I was like, that's the job. And actually that's why teaching for me, I talk a lot about teaching. I'm so grateful that I love to teach because I think that's what my job is today. Right. If I can make, if I can take talent and help cultivate it to bring out the best in that individual, to help them learn and grow and accomplish their goals, not only am I fulfilling, I would say, something that really makes me tick, but I'm also hopefully making my business or the businesses Mm -hmm. around me more successful. I think it's really a balance that you have to strike. And if I'm being honest, something I'm still getting getting good at. Yeah. Or trying to get good at. You touched on your team. And I feel like that, especially for a creative role, is really, really hard to find the right person, the right fit. And I'm sure when you were kind of like figuring out what Fahrenheit was going to be and what the culture was, it's something that you probably had like some sort of clarity on who this person was. How do you find them? Like, how do you find the right person? I honestly would be nowhere without my team. I'm mildly obsessed with them. And I feel like I owe everything I'm talking about to not just them, but every team I've ever had. I would say for me, one of the unlocks around hiring was focusing more on a value alignment, a work style alignment, um, and a potential. How do you ask for that? And how do you test that before hiring? I used to, I feel like really look for like the resume and, and don't get me wrong. The resume is important. I want to make that clear. It is really important to try to cultivate experience. Mm -hmm. You know, if I think about my time at Michael Kors, my team ranged from people who were really experienced in marketing to someone I met on Twitter. One of my best hires that I ever had at Michael Kors was a girl I had met on Twitter who had been working at a restaurant, but showed so much potential, was so hardcore in her application process, blew me away. We flew her to New York, hired her, and she's right now running social media and probably some of marketing for one of the biggest makeup brands in the country. 
And so I think that for me, what I really learned was it's all about looking for the right things across those three planes. Is there potential for this person? In their experience, for example, have they showed a willingness, a willing, oh my God. In their experience, have they shown a willingness to learn? Have they shown a willingness to grow? Have they tried and succeeded in new areas or new uh, parts of marketing, in my case, marketing? When it comes to values alignment, it's really just about asking certain questions, you know, cultivating. There's a, there's a few questions that I always ask. Like I, you know, have a really casual combo and then I like jump in with the interview questions that are so strange and weird, but they work for me. Um, seeing how people follow up, seeing the research. Um, I will never forget one of the great hires that I made was an individual. She was a creative hire and she came to this interview and she completely bamboozled me. She walked into the interview and opened up her computer and had a picture of India on the background and was like, oh, so sorry. I didn't mean for that to be there. Stop. And she, then she brought out a deck of cards um, and they were yoga positions. Then she ordered the same drink that I drink and she tapped into and completely manipulated me as an individual. She had done tons of research. She knew exactly who she was meeting with. She really thought carefully about how to approach the interview. And of course, I hired her. And many years later, she admitted to me that all of that was on purpose, right? So I think that what I learned in that moment, right, was I wasn't hiring her because what her portfolio looked like. I was hiring her because she showed a deep level of care, passion, concern, preparation for what she really wanted. And that clarity is something that I valued, you know? Building teams um, is really a labor of love, mm-hmm. and part of why part of why when Fahrenheit started to codify as an idea, I went on to build it was because it was an opportunity for me to build the dream team. And I would I say of all the things we've accomplished this year, I think building the dream team a really I think they I'll see if they agree tight knit group <laughs> of individuals on a mission to like help brands build mm-hmm. and build better who want to work together in a really human way where there's a level of understanding, compassion, empathy, humanity, and at the same time, accountability, hard work, and fun is really what I set out to do. And I think um, probably what I'm most proud of today. Well, that's actually a perfect segue because I'm curious to know out of all the things that you're doing with Fahrenheit, what is your literal, or not your literal, your figurative active ingredient? Like what is the thing that gets you up every single morning? Is it your team or is it? Definitely. Okay. Definitely my team um, and our founders. I mean, there's no question that we are here to support founders and really helping to try to figure out when you're at that early stage of growth, you're figuring all of it out for the first time. You're investing really specifically in certain areas. You're not going to invest in certain areas because it's not the right time. You haven't raised enough money. How do we jump in? for a short period of time, SWAT team your brand, SWAT team your marketing, and help put you on a really clear path for success where from the beginning, you're understanding your brand, you're understanding who you are, and you have some tools to lead it effectively. We're not going to get founders from A to Z, but I feel very strongly we can get them from A to B and we can do it in a way that sets them up really early to build a brand in their business. I think at the end of the day, Fahrenheit is about being human. 
It's about recognizing the humanity in marketing, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better word, which marketing inherently is about understanding people and finding what connects them, finding what connects people to each other, to products and to brands. And I felt like I had lost some of that humanity. Fahrenheit is just an expression of that. So whether it's working as a team, working as a community, working with our founders, really working as a family. It's just about being human in the process and recognizing that for all of us entrepreneurs out there, we all have the ups, the downs, the highs, the lows, the wins and the failures. And that's okay. That's sort of part of the fun. Um, What would you say is the one service that Fahrenheit is rooted in? And then what are all the services that you offer? Yeah. So Fahrenheit, maybe I'll just give you the full answer of that. Okay. Um, Fahrenheit is a new age brand and marketing SWAT team built to support founders in their early stages of launch. So we really like to say that we are built to help them launch or relaunch anything, looking at that 30,000 foot view of sort of how do we add a strategic lens and be a real partner to the founders as they navigate questions internally and externally. And then also how do we operate at a hundred foot view where they're like, I need someone to help ship these things out today. Like literally like the real needs and the real stuff that has to go down in order for a startup to be successful. We look at our work on three sort of fields. One is the area of building a brand. So for pre-launch or early stage startups that really are at the day one, back of the napkin, figuring it out, we'll come in and put the puzzle pieces together. So how do we build the right team? How do we build the right strategy? How do we build the right foundation? How do we build the right website, Mm -hmm. right? What do we need to build in order to get to point A to point B? Then there's the launch. So you know, this is sort of what's the plan. What is the plan that we need to put in place across the broad go-to-market strategy, social, influencer, brand marketing, and beyond? And then there's go. So for founders who have maybe one or two people on their team and for a period of time just need more bodies, Fahrenheit will step in really like a full-blown SWAT team and help actually get those things off the ground and execute. I love it. So this podcast is obviously to go down the guest journey and hear what what it's taken to get to today, but it's also for the person who is at home, who's maybe in a transition period or is maybe like scared of taking a risk to go to a new job or wanting to start something on their own, but not really knowing what questions to ask themselves. And maybe they see you doing something that, that you really, really love. And it's clearly obvious that you, you're really passionate about it and you do, but they don't even know what questions to ask themselves. Like what advice would you give to someone who's in that seat right now? The first thing that I would do is take a breath and be less hard on yourself. For all of what I've talked about today, first, what I think is inherently clear is I was not clear at any real step of the way until those moments, right, Mm -hmm. where, where something clicked. You know, I had no idea that when I started my career really at seven right? As like a child (laughs) actor in Miami and model that I would then go on to be like the VP of marketing and branded Sweetgreen. I had no idea when I was at Michael Kors in China building their social media that I was going to go on to be the founder of Fahrenheit, right? What I did know was that I had a radical commitment to myself and there was lots of points where I was super hard on myself. And then there were some points where I relaxed into it and I said, this is okay. This is part of the journey. So I would say first, be a little less hard on yourself. And instead of being like, I have to know this answer, think of it more like um, an an archaeologist. Like you're sort of like an archaeologist or anthropologist. I might have been looking for an anthropologist. (laughs) You're like an anthropologist looking to discover, right? Look at it. Archaeologist was right. Look at it. Uh, Archaeologist. Yeah. I feel like people (laughs) should vote on which word makes more sense. But, you know, look at yourself as an explorer trying to discover 
what that next step should be. That next step might be a small one. It might be a lifelong one. You know, for me, I think I like get antsy every couple of years and need like a really new challenge just to throw a wrench in my life. For some people, you know, my, my twin sister is an editor at Harper's Bazaar and she's been in the magazine industry the entire breadth of our, of our careers. So like I've been, you know, this sort of chaotic schizophrenic, you know, <laughs> yeah, person. And she's really like, that's just what she wanted to do. And it, that clarity became really clear for her. So I would say, take a pause, take a, be- a breath. Don't be so hard on yourself. Look at it as an exploration and discovery of what you want to learn about yourself to uncover what you think might come next to you and create a filter for yourself. What are the couple of non-negotiables that I know, right? Like for example, if you don't want to be at a corporate brand, if you're like, I can't operate in a corporate environment, don't take a interview at one. Just say that's non-negotiable for me. Mm-hmm. Now don't have too many of them. You might miss an opportunity, but create clarity for yourself in a softer way that will hopefully help lead you to a more exciting question than a challenging one. I love that answer. I always end the podcast asking a lighter question. What is your literal active ingredient? Something that you have to do. I know you dance a lot, but do drink. Um, If you have to like make your bed, like what's something that you literally have to do every single day that is your literal active ingredient? My literal active ingredient is caffeine. <laughs> really? But Same. my literal like, active I, I took ingredient- that clean, that clean drink. Have you heard of it? Yeah. Yeah. I, it feels so weird right now. Like I Does can't it? begin to explain oh to you. God. Yeah. I feel bizarre. But I, I mean, my active ingredient, I'm like half water, half caffeine <laughs> in my body all day, but I'm, my active ingredient is moving and dancing. I, for me, like shaking it off for five minutes just completely changes my state. It changes my environment and changes my energy. We talk about this a lot on Fahrenheit on social um, because it's really been a game changer and just reminding yourself that you actually have the ability to, to, to create a better energy and a better yeah. state of mind. So that is mine. What's yours? My literal active ingredient. I have to make my bed every single day, like a hundred percent. And I, I actually do need to sweat. I have like really bad anxiety if I don't. And I don't know mm-hmm. if it's like, I hate, I hate like putting that pressure on myself for days that I don't get to it, but like sweating really makes me all the difference million times better. Yeah. yeah. And it has, awesome. it can't even just be like a little Pilates. Like I have to sweat. <laughs> I like um, it. What's next for Fahrenheit and where can everyone find you and Fahrenheit? You can check us out on Instagram at Fahrenheit. You can also check out the Fahrenheit podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, everywhere that podcasts are available. It's one of my favorite podcasts. Thank you so much. Um, We're having a lot of fun really diving into the intersection of work and life and Mm -hmm. figuring out sort of what binds us all as people, entrepreneurs, leaders, founders. So it's been a really interesting experience and one that's really near and dear to my heart. And I think what's next for Fahrenheit is just continuing to grow and learn. For us, there's no roadmap in terms of what we will or won't do we've really built a business on this idea of like organically growing where we're needed mm-hmm. back to that abil- that back to that original sort of concept of where can we make an impact right which i looked at as a question for myself can i make an impact in this job i think it's the same lens we're taking to fahrenheit and you know hopefully continuing to be a resource and a really valuable partner to founders and startups as they look to accomplish their goals love it Amazing. Um, this was great. Well, it was so nice to meet you. I know. I Sorry we're over time by like 20 minutes. No, it's minutes. okay. Yeah, it was an That's amazing, fine. Amazing interview. All right. Okay. All right. Awesome. Bye. 
Thank you guys so much for listening. And if you can take two seconds of your time to rate and review us, it would really mean the world and help us out a ton. If you guys want more inspiration and quotes from the episode, you can check us out on Instagram at Active Ingredient. See you next week. 